I'd like you to turn back with me to uh, the passage that we were looking at last week, and that is in Exodus chapter 14. Okay? Exodus chapter 14. This is the very famous um, incident that's uh, engraved in the collective consciousness of Israel as well as the church. Um, with that is when the, the children of Israel with Moses were leaving Egypt and they had come to the Red Sea. And they were trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptians that were chasing after them on chariots. Verse 5, When the king of Egypt was told that people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart towards the people and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly yeah, or with a high hand, defiantly is another translation and when the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea, besides Pihahirot in front of Baal Zapon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It's always the case that whenever we, um, we encounter situations like that, in which we are stuck, um, our cry, the cry of our heart is always to be left alone, right? And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by me and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. There's an amazing thing that God had a word for the children of Israel and Moses spoke it. I'd like to go into it a little bit more. But before that, we'll just read a little bit more. Then, then the Lord, verse 15, said, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his armies, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, that I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. There's a, there's a way in which this crossing of uncrossable bodies of water is given to us to understand is a normal practice for Christians. It's happened a number of times. It happened here in Exodus chapter 
um, 14. It also ha- happened uh, when they crossed the River Jordan. Remember that? Can anybody tell me when it happened besides that? That was the crossing of the Jordan again. Do you remember? Elijah and Elisha. And they were about to... to Elijah was, was being followed by Elisha. And Elijah took off his mantle, right? His mantle. And he slapped the water of the Jordan and it opened again. Right? There's yet another time in which it happened. Do you remember? More or less the same incident. Yeah, another time. Where Elisha had been... uh, Elijah had left Elisha, right? To such an extent that Elisha was left alone. And Elisha couldn't cross the, road, the, the Jordan by any natural means because Elijah had left. Remember that? And so what does Elisha say? Where is the, where is the God of Elisha, Elijah? Of course, some people say, then God answered, where's the Elijah of God? <laughs> And he had the mantle and he slapped the mantle over the water and the water opened up. We are given to understand that in the way in which God leads us, we always come to situations that are uncrossable. That's the only way to move forward in our lives. The moving forward is always marked by a barrier into the land of promise, the place of promise that God has for us. So there is something about it that has to do with miracles being a normal part of our life. Yeah? Normal part of our lives. I'd like to talk about that because this is something that God is going to be leading us into this year. Not just this year, but it's just something that is true of the Christian life. It's predicated upon God doing a miracle in our lives. Every step is a miracle. We can sometimes think that every step is a natural thing that, that happens because of the fact that given our gifts, given our understandings, given our education, given our abilities, things will just happen that way. And God will have a moderate uh, um, influence upon circumstances when needed. You know, whenever He's needed, and he'll, we can call upon Him and He'll do these things. But may I suggest to you actually that the Christian life is something that can only be lived by the power of God. Yeah? And so what we, we, we as Christians are doing is that we're getting familiarized with the ways of God. As we get familiarized with the ways of God, we come against certain patterns of mind that cause us to constantly be at loggerheads or, or stuck or uh, at, yeah, at, at odds with what God's doing. And we can sometimes feel confused, perplexed at the way in which things are going. I thought you led me out of Egypt. I, loved, I thought you led me out of this place and, and I thought I heard from you. And then now I'm coming to this place where it's just impossible for me to go forward and the enemy is coming after me. We're constantly facing situations <laughs> like that. What say you? But if you and I are going to move forward into possessing His promises, we have to know how to deal with red seas in our lives. 
Jordan rivers and red seas. Now, that's the way God is actually going to do that. And I want to begin to talk a little bit about it as we move forward because there are things that are involved in, that are involved, that are critical. Okay? So let's just look at this from verse 13 today. Verse 13, But Moses said to the people, Do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Wow, amazing, right? The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. What Moses was basically saying is this, don't be afraid, stand still, call, call upon the Lord or do whatever you, you're supposed to do to stand firm. God is going to fight for you. Okay? God's going to fight for you. That is true. God, has, God is completely reliable. Okay? The Lord will fight for us while you keep silent. What he was saying is this, you keep silent, you don't have to do anything. The Lord will do it for you. Amen. And God said to him, Moses, why are, you, why are you calling out to me? In fact, God was saying, don't even have to call out to me. Don't even have to call. Tell the children of Israel to move forward. So was Moses right or God right? Of course. So was Moses wrong? That's a trick question, sorry. If God was right, was Moses wrong? He wasn't actually. God was confirming what Moses was saying. I put it to you. But God was saying, look, on the basis of what the Word of God says, you move forward. You do not move forward on the basis of how you feel. You do not move forward on the basis of whether things are working out well or not. You do not even move forward on the basis of your faith. You move forward on the basis of the fact that what I say is reliable and it's true. In Luke chapter 1, Moses, uh, Mary asked the angel, how did it be that I would be able to conceive the Son of, son of God? And what did the angel say? Yeah, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. For no word of God is devoid of power. No word of God is devoid of power. That means that word doesn't care whether you believe it or not. It doesn't care whether you feel yes or not. It doesn't care whether you say amen or not. The word is loaded with power. It is loaded of power whether you, you connect with it or you resonate with it or you don't. So what God is, was saying is this. I'm not asking you to pray yourself and rev yourself up so that you have enough faith and confidence to be able to do this thing. He's saying, you don't even have to cry out to me. There is faithfulness in my word, whether you like it or not. Whether you believe in it or not. Now, here's the thing. We tend to be people who live out of a subjectivized view of the world. What do I mean by that? Carl Truman, um, in his book... Um, uh, he, he, he wrote two books. One was a more 
scholarly one and the other one was a more popular version. And in his book, I think it's called um, The Triumph of the Modern Mind, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the, triumph, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Mind. He said, there's something happened in history uh, during around the time of the Romantics, which will be around 19th century, with uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Rousseau questioned the, the legitimacy of society's and culture's hold upon people's behavior and their identity. And he championed the idea of the authentic, noble savage, the innocent, childlike person that we are in our emotions. So that the romantics, people like Rousseau, Wordsworth, Coleridge, Shelley, and all these people, poets of those days, including uh, this, if you, you, you stretch it a little bit, people like Beethoven and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the musicians and all that, had a value for the emotional, the subjective, the feeling of things rather than just the cerebral, rational idea of things. They also had the idea that because of that, the center of our real identity of, of authenticity is our feeling or our inner self, right? Let's call it the inner self, right? I think this is something that, was a, 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 that caused the, the great flowering of tremendous creativity uh, in the West, at least. But I think this kind of emphasis on the individual self, the psychological self, uh, was furthered with Freud, when Freud began to begin to think in terms of the psychological self as the authentic self. That's who he is. This is who I am. I look at the world through this. And Freud sort of legitimized the, the understanding that particularly sex, our sexual being, our sexual uh, uh, personhood, is the grid through which we look at all of reality. Okay? Stay with me, right? Stay with me. So that the idea of um, expressive individualism, a term that Philip Reef, I, I think, uh, uh, invented, of expressive in individualism, um, Philip Reef and Charles Taylor kind of talked a lot, a lot around this, this area, was the idea that everything can be seen and authenticated because of the fact that it jives with myself. I, I have to be true to myself. Right? How I see myself, who I see myself to be, is who I am. And nobody can really question that. It puts the emphasis on my perception of things. It puts the emphasis on how I see things from the inside, the individual inside psychological self that I am. Does that make sense? It put the center of gravity of what is true away from the outside world into the inside world. And so when we say authentic, when we use the word authentic nowadays, we, what we mean is it true to myself. I am who I am, how I see myself. Whether it's my sexuality or my identity or my sense of value or how I see this, I think of in terms of my truth. So there's a loss of any truth in and of itself 
But everything is subsumed into my truth, my own understanding of it. Does that make sense? What say you? We live in a society in which my truth becomes the lens with which we look at everything. And how I see things, even how I worship, how I'm feeling when I worship, is the lens through which I judge how I'm doing spiritually. How I'm doing emotionally or how I'm doing life. It's how I see myself according to the personal truth that is in me rather than the objective truth that is out there. Okay? <laughs> Stay with me, okay? If you don't understand what I've said, just been saying, don't worry about it. This message is not dependent upon, on, on all that, but I felt that you know, this, this can help us to understand how, we are te- how our mind, our, our soul tends, tends. It tends towards subjectivism. It su- tends to, to be in terms of how I see things, my truth rather than your truth. This is different from the before when, when in society, before the Romantics, tended to think of the fact that God made the earth, God made the universe, and there is a truth out there that doesn't really depend upon whether I feel it or, be, or jive with it or resonate with it or not. Okay? Now, my contention here, with, with respect to um, what was happening in the, in, the, in the crossing of the Red Sea, is this, that what God was saying to Moses is this, everything that you say is true because it's based upon what I say. And it has power in and of itself. You don't have to wait till you feel ready to cross the Red Sea. The Red Sea isn't going to open because you thought that it would, or you feel good about it, but because of the fact that my word is never devoid of power. That means my word contains my power. My, my being, my presence in it. God's word is not like any other word. When God speaks, it never turns, comes back to Him void. It has power in itself, and it doesn't really care whether you believe it or not. It can't help it. It's there. It's a thing. Now, lots of people dare not cross red seas or move into things because they are waiting for their individual psychological self to resonate with it. And I believe in resonance, like, you know, when God speaks to us, we can resonate with it. God's given us the ability to resonate with it. But that is not the primary thing. God's word is not true because I resonate with it, but because it is true, independent of me, if I, never, if I was never born, if my mother never had me in her womb, it would still be true. God's Word doesn't need me to resonate with it. Does that make sense? I have to go out to it rather than it try to fit with me. Now the thing about resonance is this. Resonance has become, because of Rousseau and because of so many others and Freud and so many others and, 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 uh, and uh, Herbert Marcuse and all that, all of these people, because of all these people, we have begun to legitimate, thing, legitimate things, believe things based upon our own 
subjective feeling. I agree with it. I feel like it and all. That is the worst way to begin your Christian life. The Christian life does not begin that way. Crossing Red Seas doesn't start with that. Okay. What was I saying? Right, resonance. Yes, yes, yes. So what God is saying, okay, in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and hold out your hand over the sea. So he was saying, basically, your staff has to be over the circumstance. You've, you cannot allow the circumstance to be over your staff. You put your staff over it. But the staff was the symbol of God's call upon Moses' life. God's word to Moses' life. God had earlier called Moses in the, in the, in the, in the incident of the burning bush. And he said to Moses, when Moses asked God, you know, how will the, how will the Israelites know that you have sent me, right? How will they believe? I'm just a nobody. I don't even have credibility with him. God says, what do you have in your hand? Right? And Moses says, a staff. And he says, throw it down. And the staff became a snake. And he says, only when it's thrown down will the snake, be, the sting of that be taken out of your staff. Pick it up. And when Moses picked it up, he says, through this, I will show myself to you. Okay? Israel will believe, so that all may believe. God said, pick it up. With this staff, all will believe. So staff was the, the experience, the, the personality of Moses, whatever Moses had, through which God was going to work. Okay? And so what, what God was saying to him when he came to the, to the Red Sea is this, take your staff and put it above the uh, the Red Sea, so much so that you know that my word is ascendant, is over the circumstance, not under the circumstances. No circumstance trumps my word. And you're going to learn this again and again and again and again. You're going to learn it in the, in the, in the, in the lived experience of your soul. Right? You're going to live it. You're going to experience it until the staff becomes very familiar with you. And with this staff, you will do many miracles. And many miracles were done through that staff. God was saying that, that's it. Take that staff. Every time you see the staff, you see 
you remember how God has worked in, my, in your life. Amen? And now you take this stuff, because Moses had, had many miracles that had by that time taken place through the use of this stuff. Every time there was a crisis, God, God would say, use your stuff. And Moses would use his stuff, something familiar to him, something close to him, something that is mixed in with his personality, something of, hu- of his humanity. And God would actually take the sting out of it, take the pride out of it, take, it, take the fear out of it, take the sin out of it, and use it in a pure way. And now God was saying, take the staff and put it over the sea. Put it over the sea so that you know that my word is above everything else. And you have to know that my word has power. No word of God is devoid of power. And your trust is not because of your staff, but because of the fact that I have power over it. Amen? Okay, this is what, this is what God was saying to Moses. And for that to happen, Moses had to, to know that... It really didn't depend upon him. It depended upon God. God was over all these things. And so he did. And God opened up the way. Isn't that wonderful? Now I, I believe that this is where the issue really lies. It lies in the fact that we have our own personality and our personality like the staff is meant to be used by God to become more and more sanctified, more and more in line with God, more and more in agreement with God. Okay? That's what God wants to do. He wants to take us and our staff so that our staff will not be so full of itself, so much of itself just bound to its own self-referencing, its own history, its own experience, that God is cut out of it. What God wants to do is to take the sting out of it, take the snake out of the staff, our pride, our own ways of thinking, our own experience, the way we've been brought up and all that, and take that out so that our faith lies not in the staff. Actually, the staff begins to disappear. But it be used, it's used in a natural way so God can flow with it. For that to happen, the staff must not have its own dominance. Moses has to look beyond the staff. He has to look beyond it to God. Okay? So what happens is this. God works in our hearts in that way. Many times, we get stuck because of the fact that we have worries about how well our faith is doing. Whether we are believing enough. Whether our faith is strong enough. Whether there is enough resonance. Whether we think we are holy enough. And everything that we look to is focused on ourselves, our staff, our ability. Have we got enough experience? Have we have all, all this? Do we have enough knowledge? Do we have enough faith? And there's a subtle thing that happens to us that makes us more religious, but not more powerful in God. More, not more close to God. And that is, we look to our staff. 
We look to our staff more than anything else. We have staff problems. Because of the fact that we depended so much on our staff. Because the staff is how we begin to develop humanly in closeness to God. Whether it resonates, whether we can believe it, whether we feel the anointing, feel the freedom, feel the whatever it is, feel the oomph of it. But that is never the start of it. The beginning of it is not our staff, but it is God. So, when you start having faith in faith, you get into trouble. When you have faith in resonance, you get into trouble. Because all those are your feelings about God, but not God Himself. If you have faith in the sense of the presence of God, because I sense it, I got goosebumps and all that, you have problems because your faith is not in God, but in your sense of God. We are all children of Rousseau in that sense. Because we are highly subjectivized. And we go a lot by that. And what God wanted Moses to do is to rely on God. That the faith will not turn back and curl back upon his own sense of whether he has faith or not, but upon God, quite apart from himself. To be a Christian, we die to ourselves and we say, it's all on God. That's why we sang the song, it's all about you. Right? Or else what happens to your worship is we constantly checking in on how you feel about the worship. Is God's presence strong in whether I'm feeling it or not? I'm not feeling it. Yeah, I'm not feeling it. So, what's that? Is worship a dead? Yeah. So what God is actually doing is that He's actually setting us free and cutting us loose from ourselves. Now, here's the deal. If you look into Exodus chapter 20, they came to this place called Meribah, and there was no water. This is many years later, okay, many years later, many years after Exodus 14. Oh, sorry, not Exodus 20, Numbers 20, sorry. And the people complained against Moses and Aaron. By that time, Moses and Aaron are very weary of all that stuff because they've been lugging around a bunch of people. Uh, Dryden calls them a moody, murderous, murmuring crowd. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, verse 3, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord, why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us up into this wretched place? It's been years and years and now we have found that it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Your prophecy has not come to pass. I don't resonate with that. I do not resonate with that. And Moses is hurt. Aaron is hurt. You mean we've wasted all this time? And he's wondering about God probably as well. Okay? Why have you made us come out from Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? 
Then verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron came in from the, pre- in from the presence of the assembly of the draw- doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. So they went into the presence of God and they laid themselves before the Lord and the glory of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod. Okay. Take the rod. You and your brother Aaron assemble in the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod. God said, take the rod. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, listen now, you rebels. Idiots. I've been carrying you on my back for so long. Hopeless bunch. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? You, you want me to bring it out of the, of the rock? You can see that Moses was feeling the, rock, the burden, right? We've got to get water out of this rock for these guys. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. The water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and the beasts ate. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. That rod that he God used was not supposed to be used. He had used it before in crossing the Red Sea, first time in Meribah. He was supposed to take the rod, but not use it. Moses took the rod, who he was human, humanly, and he whacked the rock. And all his feelings, all his, his burdens, all his hurts, smashed the rock. And God said, you have not kept me holy. You have conflated, confused your own self with me. I'm not you. You have not kept me holy. Because of that, the children of Israel will think that I am angry with them. But you know, Moses, you are angry. I was not. You have imposed your own personality upon me. I am holy, which means I'm separate from you, distinct from you. Holy does not mean good ethics and, and living righteously. Holy just means separate, distinct. You have not sanctified me. That separated me from yourself. And the rod was not supposed to be used. There are times in which God takes us into situations that are hurtful, that are pressureful, pressureful, but they don't. They cause feelings to come up. Anger, frustration. And we just want to express it. And God had told Moses and Aaron, don't say anything. Well, he didn't say that particularly. He just said, just do this. Speak to the rock. Don't speak to the people. Just speak to the rock. And Moses had to be so disciplined to just speak to the rock, whatever his feelings were. And that would have been enough. Many people can do great things, but their anger, their wrath, messes it up for them. And what God was saying is this, I am different from you. I love them. My patience goes further than yours. But you have made your gifts, your rod, 
superimpose your own personality upon me. I've heard many, many stories about men and women who are really used by God. Uh, Victor Hansen has this series that he's teaching. He's teaching in Pepperdine just, re- just recently on the hero, the, the warrior hero that has a fatal flaw. There are people that actually have done great things. People like Patton. I shared with you about that Greek hero. They have these people, but there's a fatal flaw in them. Their, their rod is really strong, but they can't control it. They can't control it. And they are, at the end of the day, history uh, judges them for that. Even men of God, women of God, who have a fatal flaw, whether it's their sexuality or their power, or their dominance or their anger or their whatever it is, there's that. And what God was saying is this, if you keep on thinking that it's about you and it's on you and it's on your, on your own uh, ability and you are supposed to bring the water to people, you will have at best faith in yourself. That's why in America people have always talk about having faith in yourself, right? This is a product of Rousseau I mean, in, in many ways, right? It's about me. It's not about you. And so what God was saying is this, it's about me. I will give it. Amen? And what, what faith was supposed to be directed to is to be a reliance on God. A reliance on her faith, on the word of God. That he, because he says so, it will be done. Okay? So if you want to build up faith, don't think of it in terms of your faith or how faithful you are, or how much faith you had, start thinking not about your, your own level of faith, but thinking in terms of the truth of His Word. You rely outward that way. Amen? Not inward and start wondering, do I have enough faith? I must pray more. I must do all this. You don't, it doesn't start with that. Now, many traditions have a tradition of like fasting and praying a lot. I, I believe that. I fast and pray. My family does. But there is a way in which fasting and praying is not the primary thing. If you start doing that, you will be doing it out of a feeling that it's about you. How holy you are. How, how righteous you are. How earnest you are. How killer you are. It begins with the integrity of God's word, the solidity of His word, the worthiness of His word. We're worshipping and we say, the worthy, the worthiness of God. What does that mean? It's the weight. Worthiness has to do with the weight. It's almost as if the God we're talking about is someone who is so solid, so dense, so real, so powerful, that He does not need us to make Himself real. He is himself who he is. That's why faith is a substance. It doesn't need you to believe it in order for it to be true. It doesn't need you to believe it in order for it to to come to pass. It is true in and of itself. And we want to build our faith, but you don't start building your faith by fasting and praying. Fasting and praying is good. Don't get me wrong. 
Because that fasting and praying helps this helps the rod, helps the staff, helps the staff to become more sanctified. Yes. But the truth is that our faith is, does not lie in our faith or our spirituality or our holiness or our earnestness, our seriousness. It lies in God. Amen? That's really important. It doesn't depend on our feelings. God does not need our feelings to be in line with it. It will help us. But it is true. So the first thing is this. Without any kind of special inspiration, we put our faith in God. Alright? Put our faith in God that that river will open up. This Red Sea will open up. That you will be delivered from your financial difficulties. From your, sick, your, 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 your depression from these things. You start there. That's not the end of it, but you start there. Many Christians have had the wrong, ba- wrong basis of faith. As this spiritual, spirituality is, has a matter of about ardor, how, how, how ardent we are about it, or how emotional we are about it. It's not about that. It's about God. It's not about you. In fact, spirituality, in the general sense, doesn't need you. Doesn't need me. It is itself. It exists. God exists before the, the universe. Even before the universe was created, before angels were created, He existed. He did not need any one of us. Within the Trinity, there's enough. Everything was there. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. Let's go to the last passage that we will look at. And it's, uh, it's Hebrews chapter 3. Okay? Hebrews chapter 3. Reading from verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a holy heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Don't consider Moses. Consider Jesus. Okay? The apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. Okay, so Moses... Um, was a faithful guy, okay? But you're supposed to consider Jesus, okay? For he who has counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. What he's saying, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, consider Jesus, Jesus is more worthy because the builder of the house is more worthy than the house. Moses is the house. Moses was being built upon, uh, built. He was being formed. But the one who has greater honor is not the one formed. Moses is just like us. We are the house. God is building us. Christ is building us. That's why consider Him. Set your faith towards Him. Let your faith be reliant upon Him, not upon your, how well you're doing. Okay? By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Praise God. He's building your vision. He's building your life. He's doing it. Okay? Now, the writer of Hebrews says, be careful of unbelief though. Yeah? That means the willful desire to not go towards God. Right? Now Moses was faithful in all this house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later, verse 5. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of the 
of the hope firm until the end. What, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this. You know, he's talking to the Hebrews. The Hebrews, like, Moses was everything, right? Moses was their glory. There's nothing better than Moses besides God. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, there's someone higher than Moses, better than Moses, and that's Christ. In fact, Moses was being made by Christ. Moses was being made by God. So don't put your hope in Moses. You are like Moses. Look at Moses. He was faithful, but at the same time, he relied too much on his rod. Right? He relied too much on himself. And what he's saying is, consider Jesus. And that word consider has to do with focusing all our faith upon Jesus. Amen? So there are going to be times in which um, you don't feel it. I remember when I was um, um, having a, a rally, evangelistic rally, and we had told people, God does miracles. And so I was in Malaysia, and uh, the whole building was filled with people. All of them were sick, with, with crutches and... and and, 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 I, and I remembered the banner we put up, come, Jesus heals, he delivers, he saves, wow. And I looked at all the sick people, I got discouraged. I got so discouraged. I remember them pulling up one, guy, one person, because our church was on the, on the second floor of a, of a shop lot. And so they pulled this person up and laid them in the front. Then another thing I thought, okay, God, let someone else pray for that person. And they brought this other person in a wheelchair. And they brought the wheelchair. And I, I was 23 at the time, right? I said, let's put the wheelchair right at the back there. Because I didn't want to get discouraged when I was preaching. More and more and more people came in. And I preached. Honestly, preaching is easy compared with praying for people. Especially when they're expecting something to happen. And I was tempted to preach longer. To put off all that. But I did not. I knew I was supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. And it came to a point where I said, Okay, the, the Lord has blessing for every one of you. If you like prayer, just come up for prayer. So they all came up. Almost everybody came up, including members of our own church. And I started praying, and I remember how little faith I had. I just remembered how I believed they would not be healed. I started praying and my voice got really squeaky. <laughs> and I started praying, and I knew that if it depended on faith, we are going to have a horrible night. And my members of, the, of our prayer, members of the prayer team were looking at me and watching what I would do. And I just had no choice. And something struck me, and that's why I believe this is so powerful. It's not about you. Your faith is not on your faith. It's on God's Word. 
that He will do something so that even if people are not healed, He will do something that's necessary and needful for them. He started praying. And people started getting healed. I remember people getting out of the, the wheelchair. And somehow, I was able to get right in there and all our church members got right in there. We had a tremendous experience of just getting in there, pulling out, stretching it out, helping them get out of their, their chairs and saying, walk. And people started walking. They started walking. Some of them hobbling. It took a while, but we just kept on, kept on going. And people started getting healed left, right and center. I don't believe I know of anyone who wasn't healed. There were about um, 40, 50 people who, were, who, had, who had come up for healing. I don't, really, I don't remember anyone who was not healed. But I knew this. But next, Saturday, next Sunday when we had church, many of them came back and they testified of how the God had healed them. Does that make sense? And that's where I know I realized it has nothing to do with how I felt. But it does have everything to do with who I'm relying on. And there are times in which your faith will fail you, but God will not. He will not fail Himself. And so the more we take our eyes off ourselves and put it upon God, the more we get out of the way. Amen? That's how we begin to see things. There are a lot of things that are going to happen in spite of our own feelings. My sister shared with me that she was, uh, when she was in college, she was going to take a driving test. And uh, the worst thing about corruption in Malaysia is that there are certain spots where corruption is very rife. Yeah? And one of the things that people talk a lot about in terms of uh, getting a, uh, having a driving test is how corrupt the whole thing is. So she was going for her driving test. And it was told to her that the driving test would be in this neighborhood. And we all thought, oh no, this is going to be terrible. Because it's known to be corrupt. So, my sister went for it. And as she went for the driving test, the driver let her drive completely and then he said, well, what do you think? Do you think you pass? And so he was fishing. And as he, as he fished, she just blurted out, I don't know, but I'm not going to give a bribe. And he said, you passed. But she didn't feel like it. She didn't feel the faith. She didn't feel any of that. She just said, I'm relying. I'm relying on that. I'm not relying on my faith. I'm relying on God. Amen? <sighs> Last week, during worship, okay, during worship, there were words of knowledge that came out. Do you remember that? Somebody had a word, not, uh, Shannon had a word of knowledge for someone who had palpitations. Right? She had no idea. Then during one of our daily prayers, Richard came up and said, you know what, I want to tell you, I had palpitations. And after you gave that word, I was healed. There was also a word for someone who had a shoulder problem. Do you remember that? And that person also shared that that shoulder problem was much better. Not completely healed, but 
much better. Amen? Now here's a, here's a few things for us to practice, right? First Corinthians chapter 12 says, when we are together and the presence of the Lord is here, the Lord will give us a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge, vision, a tongue, different things. Does that make sense? Do you believe it? Do you believe it that it's true because you feel it? Because, but because of, it says so in the word, right? What say you, we believe it and practice it? We believe that no matter what our emotional state is today, God is present. Amen? Amen. We worship Him. Why worship is so important? Because it focuses our attention onto Him. At first, when we are worshipping, we are worshipping for our own sake, hoping that we will feel better. But as we continue worshipping, we pull ourselves out of ourselves. We, we unplug ourselves from our own self-will and set towards God. That's why worship is so important. Worship is to set our heart towards Him. To unplug ourselves from ourselves onto Him. Amen? Take that cord and stick it there. Worship Him in that way. When we worship Him in that way, whether we feel like it or not, the presence of God is here. Where two or three are gathered, there am I in our midst. That's the presence of God. I've seen that happen. Happen. Whenever we are in His presence, we mark His presence by obedience. True? We are not here getting entertained. That would be a very sorry sight if you are here to be entertained. Because we don't do a very good job at that. At least for me. But the point is this. If it's really true... There's a bigger truth than that we had a nice meeting. The bigger truth is that God is present. Not because we felt it, but because of the fact He is in His Word and is true. Amen? And if that is the case, alright, if that is the case, then what we have to say is this, when we worship God, God will be speaking. And He will use any one of you. Just worship Him. Don't try to... Don't try to stir up anything. Just worship Him. And on the basis of the fact that He's present, He will drop things in our hearts. Amen? Even if you're a new Christian, God can use you. You put it in your intuition. Just drop it in there. And it will be something encouraging. It will be something that glorifies God. Daniel, are you here? Ah, that's Daniel. Daniel is, is worship leading by faith. Because after the, the, um, the fall conference, he lost his voice. But today he's, he's, he's leading and we praise God for that. Yeah? Let's worship the Lord. Alright, let's close our eyes, lift up our hands. Take our attention off ourselves. It's not about us, it's about God. And give Him your adoration right now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We welcome you. We welcome the King of Glory into our midst. Hallelujah. At 12 o'clock, those who need to pick up your children, please feel free to do so. We may go on a little bit after 12, but we believe that the, the most exciting thing is that the Lord of this universe 
is present. Not that we have great music, or that we have great voices, or it already sounds nice, and we have four-part harmony, none of that. It's the fact that the Lord of this universe is here, and He has, he has a heart for each one of us. He's attentive to you and I. Let's, let's offer ourselves to Him right now. Lord, we surrender ourselves to You. We welcome You. We ask You that You be glorified. Set us free, set our spirits free from ourselves. Thank You, Lord, that You made us instruments in Your hand. Thank You, Lord, that Your Word is true, that Your sheep hear Your voice, and You know them. We recognize your voice. And so we welcome you, Lord. Come in all your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way. If you have something for us to speak out, or to obey you in, sharing out, we offer ourselves to you so that we can edify and encourage the rest of us in the body. So we bless you. Let's worship him right now. Yeah, 
Hallelujah. God is risen with the shout of triumph. Thank you, Lord. I want to open it out to the floor right now, to the, to the body of God's people. The Lord is here, His presence. And the, and the predicate of His presence is the fact that we are obedient to Him. If God puts just one word, one particle in you, just go ahead and speak it. don't have to say more than that. We just be faithful to the little that we have. And God will do amazing things. He is here, not because we feel it, but because He has promised that He will be here. We don't have to rely on how we are feeling about being here. We rely on Him. to every single one of us. It's almost as if you are personally present in His throne room. That's your name. Someone's got a knee injury right now that God wants to heal. If you're the one, just lift up your hands right now. God wants to heal somebody with a knee injury. There's more than one person. around you, there are some people who have raised their hands. You feel led. See, we are being led by the Holy Spirit because the presence of God is here. We just just allow ourselves to flow in the Spirit. I just pray for you. If you don't feel led, it's okay, no problem. But if you look around and you see there are people who have their hands raised, go ahead and just pray for them. If somebody is led, please pray for Dion, uh, Kim, and our sister up front. Just be freed up from our uh, our seat. If someone has uh, would like prayer for what Lydia just shared, also raise up your hand so that we can pray for you as well. Okay. The head injury, the head problem, uh, pain. okay to look around. Can someone pray for, for, for Justin? I know for a fact God is healing his head. Anyone else? If anyone has a word, you have a, a scripture, song or even a prayer to be prayed, a sense, an impression, go ahead and share. If you have children, feel free to go and get them. Then you can come up if you like. If you like. But we just let the Holy Spirit move. Anybody need the mic?
Amen. That's right. We just give whatever we have. Don't have to give more. Just faithfully, just simply, plainly, just share whatever you got. having an abdominal pain right now or problem in your abdomen maybe your stomach or your intestines and you've been sick of that right now if there's if you need prayer just lift up your hands and we'll pray for you somebody who has a problem with the abdominal problem anybody just lift up your hands if you have that and we'll pray for you your name. Just lift up. Lift up the Lord right now. Lift up His name right now. Anyone else? Got a word? A word of encouragement? A word of prophecy? A word of knowledge? Um, a scripture? A revelation? Feel free.
Lord opening up ears, ears to hear His voice. Not so much a physical thing, particularly to hear His voice. And that means those who have wanted to hear His voice. And the Lord says, you already hear my voice. You just need to recognize it. And when I speak, I speak in comforting, uplifting ways, peace.
anyone else has a word or something you would like to speak out on me, just before we close, now's the time. Amen.